0: All right, well, welcome everybody to, uh, to Blackhawk Church. Welcome to everybody online who is joining us right now, everybody who is in the room, everybody at all sites and venues. It's great to have another Sunday to be together. And as you can see, if you are watching me on a screen right now at any of our places, yeah, Christmas is on us. So, I mean, it is here. We are in December. How many of you have already done some decorating in your homes at this point? Yeah, that is is a lot of people. From from my family, our daughters were home over Thanksgiving, and so we always take kind of Black Friday through the rest of the weekend to do our Christmas decorating at that time. That's sort of the time that we hit. I have a friend who actually um, put up his Christmas tree the day after Halloween, It's way too early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've got one guy. You're welcome. So right there. So, But but I always feel like if Thanksgiving, it's due, and then it's Christmas season, and it's on us. And so we have done all kinds of decorating at this point and done decorating really at all our sites, all our venues. Hopefully for you at home, you've started at this point. But as you've heard in all of our services, sites, and venues right now, um, it's Advent season. And this marks the, the first Sunday of Advent. For some of you, I'm guessing you're doing maybe calendars, Advent calendars that you do for the 25 days prior to Christmas. Maybe you're doing that with family. Um, but today actually marks the first Sunday of, of this time. Now, for some of us in the church world, you've grown up with the idea of Advent. Maybe for you, you at some point in your life, we're going to uh, a Lutheran or a Catholic or an Episcopal church, and you know the ideas of Advent. For some of us, we don't have a lot of background within the church, or we came from a church that really didn't talk about Advent all that much. I grew up in a church that really never talked about it. So it wasn't actually, I think, until I got to college where I started to hear about the idea of Advent. So for some of us, we really don't have much of an idea. And I'm guessing for a lot of us, even though it might be a tradition, we don't maybe know a lot about it. Advent is a word uh, that comes actually from the Latin word adventus, meaning coming or arrival. And it's a time where we celebrate for this period of time, the coming of Jesus to Bethlehem, the first time that he came. But it also is a time where we remember the second coming of Jesus that we look forward to. So we look back in order to be able to look ahead. And we celebrate this for the four Sundays prior to Christmas. So This year, Christmas falls on a Monday. So the Sunday, you know, prior to it, Christmas Eve. And if you go back from there, it brings us to this Sunday. And so for for these four Sundays, we're going to be covering in a, a short little series that we're doing on Advent, the four different themes of Advent to help us as a church kind of understand the meaning of Advent altogether. So today we will be dealing with the subject of hope. Next week, then Chris Kopp will come and give a message on the subject of peace. The following week, Peter Vang will come and give a message on joy. And then during our Christmas services, the 22nd, the 23rd, and 24th, at all of our sites and all of our venues, we'll be doing a message on love. But today, I'm supposed to talk about hope. And, you know, as I was getting ready for this message, I... um, one of the questions that, that hit me right away as I was beginning to think about this subject are what are the things in our lives that we put our hope in? Like, what are the things that we hope for? And, and really, as I thought about that, it actually got me thinking about shoes. So let me see if I can explain for just a minute here. You might have noticed that, um, that I am wearing Birkenstocks today. Yes, a, perfect, a two-inch snowy day is a perfect day to wear Birkenstocks to church. And uh, yes, I am wearing the shoes of the world today. And, uh, and the reason why I'm wearing these is so actually so I can show you my feet. So um, so for some of you, you might have like kind of a foot phobia. You might want to avert your eyes for just a moment. But, um, but these, these are my feet. So right here. Is this, is this weird? This is weird, isn't it? So my name is Matt. I'm the senior pastor. And these are my feet. And one of the things that you need to know about me, um, I don't know if you need to know, but you're gonna get to know, I have, um, I have rather wide feet. Any other wide feet people in the room right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll start a support group, it'll be great. Um, So my feet, I've been, I don't know if my wide feet come from my mom's side or my dad's side of the family, but regardless, I have wide feet. I've been told since I was little that I have um, Fred Flintstone feet. Um, You might remember the old school cartoon character who then became a chewable vitamin and now a gummy. Uh, That is uh, Fred Flintstone. But look, it, those, those are wide feet. And I've been told since I was little that I had feet just like his. I always used to think that, um, that the benefit of it was that it would give me great balance because I have more surface area. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I always thought of when I had wide feet. Okay. M- but moving on from there, something else you should know about me, not just that I have wide feet, but I, I love shoes. I, I, I wouldn't call myself um, a sneakerhead necessarily, um, but I, I am a guy who I love finding a good pair of shoes and I love finding a pair of shoes that is a good deal. Like they're on sale. It just makes me so happy when I find that. But my love for shoes and my wide feet, they don't necessarily always fit all that well together. Can I get an amen from any wide feet people in the room? Yes, you know, the, you know the plight. So I was at a store not too long ago and I found this pair of sneakers that were just amazing. I just loved the look at them. They were on sale. It was a great deal. And I tried them on in the store. They had my size, but they kind of were snug on my feet. But I decided that I would buy them anyway. And so I went ahead and buy them, but rather than taking the tags off or anything like that, I, I, uh, that day I was going to be working on a sermon. So I threw socks on, I put the shoes on my feet and I sat on the couch and I worked on my sermon in hopes that you know, they would kind of stretch out you know, as I wore them. But the thing that happened over the hours that I was working on this sermon, I found that as I, as I was working on things, I was thinking less and less about my sermon and more and more about how much my feet hurt and so finally I was like, forget it. And I took them off. I put them back in the box. I went ahead and returned them with all the tags on because they just were not going to work because this as a wide foot person is not my first rodeo. Like I have been known to buy shoes over the years that were too narrow for my feet. They didn't fit all that well. And and in hopes... I would be really optimistic that somehow they would stretch out, but I would wear them for a few days and they would just hurt and they wouldn't stretch. And I would find myself getting frustrated and disappointed and kind of grumpy. And then I would take them off and I would put them in my closet. And then maybe a month later, I would see them. I would love the way they look. Maybe this time I put them back on, wear them for a day. Yeah. They still would not stretch out. And finally, out of sheer grumpiness and frustration, I would just finally get rid of them and give them to somebody who do whatever that way, because they never got to the place that I wanted them to be. Maybe you've got a story like that in some way. You have some pair of shoes, or maybe it's an article of clothing that you bought that you just loved the look of, you really wanted to have, but it didn't fit you quite right, but you bought it anyway, just in hopes that it would kind of stretch out. Some of you might be wearing something like that right now, and you feel really uncomfortable as you're like (laughs) sitting here, and it is that article is just squeezing you more and more as you're listening to this message. Okay, so what does this have to do with the message today at all? What does this have to do with hope? Well, remember at the beginning I asked, what are the things in life that we put our hope in from this world? Because for all of us, I think we would answer that in different ways. For some of us, it might be like a career path that you're on. Maybe it's a position that you're hoping that you're going to get to at some point. Maybe for you, it's it's a relationship that you hope at some point in your life you're going to have with another person. Maybe for you, it's a particular um, financial bracket that you're hoping that you're going to be able to get to at some point. Maybe for you, it's, um, it's getting into a particular college or, or school. You're at that stage where you're applying and you're hoping that the door is going to open. Or maybe for you right now, it's a degree program that you want to get into. Maybe it's a particular GPA that you're hoping that you're finally going to hit. Maybe for you, it's a place in the world that you're hoping you're going to be able to live at some point. Maybe it's a house or a car. There are all kinds of different things that we place our hope in. But the thing that we find over time is that when we place our hope in these things, we all have those places. We've done this in the past. This is not our first rodeo. Or where we looked to all kinds of things like that for for our fulfillment, for our satisfaction, thinking somehow it would make us feel complete. Like we finally made it in life and we get to that place and we realize that whatever it was that we saw on the rack, that we really wanted, whatever thing we were putting our hope in that when we put it on, it didn't fit quite right. I mean, sure it might look good and it might feel decent at the beginning, but over time it just doesn't seem to fit us. In other words, it doesn't do what we hoped it was going to do. It's like a shoe that is too small. And over time, when we realize it's not giving us the satisfaction that we thought it would, well, it ends up disappointing us, kind of frustrating us. We feel kind of empty. And finally, we just take it off and put it in the closet because it didn't do what we had hoped it would do. So here's the question that we should be asking. These things that we put our hope in, why do they not satisfy and fulfill us the way that we thought they were going to? Well, the the reason why why really is because the things of this this world, in a broken world that we live in, they were never meant to actually be able to satisfy us the way that we hoped they would. In other words, they were never meant to be the things that fit us perfectly, that our, our, our figurative feet are created for something different than the shoe size that this world has to offer. You know, we come to this first week of Advent, and we're talking about the subject of hope. What are the things that we put our hope in? Because the thing we realize when we look at this world is our hope should be in something bigger. And that's actually what Advent reminds us of. So we're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture together. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15. And that's where we're gonna begin as we jump into uh, this passage together. Romans 15, we just finished last week, we just finished a series that we've been going through of the book of Philippians for the last 10 weeks that was written by the apostle Paul. Well, right now we're back in another letter written by Paul. And this one in particular, he's writing to a group of Jewish Christians in the city of Rome. And he's helping them to understand that Jesus came not just for the Jewish people of the day, but he actually came for the Gentile people of the day as well. Gentile people would be all people who would not be considered Jewish. So for the vast majority of us listening to this message right now, we would fall in that camp. And he's trying to help the Jewish people understand that. And so in verse 12, he says something interesting, which I think can be kind of difficult for us to understand at first glance. Paul says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over nations. And in him, the Gentiles will hope. Okay, now what, what, what's Paul talking about here? Paul is actually referring back to, remember, Paul is writing at the time after Jesus had come and lived on the planet, done everything that he did, risen from the grave, now ascended back to heaven. This is after that time. But he is writing actually, alluding to a passage of scripture in the Old Testament from a Jewish prophet named Isaiah, actually written in chapter 11 of a letter that's found in scripture, the the book of Isaiah. And he is writing about this, and this is prophetic writing that has happened hundreds of years before Jesus is on the planet. And he is writing, this is interesting what he says. He says, the root of Jesse. Okay, what does that mean? Well, Jesse was the father of the most famous king of Israel, David. And so he's basically talking about the royal line the line that the king of Israel was supposed to come from. And Jesus was actually a part of that line. But what he says in this passage, one who will arise to rule over not just the people of Israel, but nations and in him, the Gentiles, all people will hope. In other words, one day this king will come and he will rule not just over Jewish people, but all people, not by oppression, but by the fact of him living a different type of a life. You see, Jesus came to be a King who would give his life for all people so that all people could truly find hope in who he was. And so Paul then continues on in verse 13. He says this, so may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy spirit. You see, Paul wanted to make sure that people understood that God sent his son into this world to give us not a temporal small hope that wouldn't fit our figurative feet well, but a true right size, massive lasting hope that was created for all people. Jesus came for all people. That's why it's amazing when we look at the story of Christmas, which we remember during this time. And one of the most famous passages is written in scripture about the birth of Jesus, where the angel shows up to the shepherds. And he says to them, these words in Luke two, starting with verse 10, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You see, I love this passage. Good news that will cause great joy for all people. You see, Jesus is one who came for all people. That means he came for you. Why did he come to this world? Because he came for all people. And that includes you see, that's what we remember at this time of Advent. That is one of the biggest things that we're supposed to wrap our minds around. So we remember this first coming of Jesus at Advent. But the thing is, we don't just remember the first coming, but we also remember his, his second coming. A, a time where he comes not just to be savior of the world, but where he comes to be, to be king of the world. You know, when Paul started writing in this this, this book of of Romans and wrote about this passage in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11. If we go to that passage, it actually gives us a picture of, of what the world will be like when Jesus comes to truly be king. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the Old Testament right now, to the book of Isaiah. Let me read a passage. It says this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decision, decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness a sash around his waist. Now listen to this. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together together. And and the lion will eat straw like an oxen. The infant will play near a cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. Okay. What's going on in this passage? This is, there is so much in this passage and so much of it that just sounds a little weird because it just kind of sounds impossible, doesn't it? I mean, like, let's be honest. Like, children don't play with poisonous snakes. Like note to parents right now, just put that on your list of things to hang on to. You know, wolves wolves don't lie down with lambs. Leopards don't snuggle up with goats. You know, and, 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 and cows don't have lunch with bears unless they are lunch. And, and you know, I mean, with all of these things, lions don't eat straw like oxen. Like everything that we're talking about here like in the world that we live in, we look at the nature of these animals and we're like, yeah, that's impossible. It's not gonna happen. But what I think is taking place here is Isaiah is actually painting more of a figurative imagery of what the, the world will be changed into at the time when Jesus comes back to make all things right. Like he is pointing, he is pointing towards a day where there will, we will not have to think about this, worry about our safety any longer. There will no longer be danger in the world that we have to deal with. But but in order for that to happen, something massive has to take place because in the same way that these animals would not just snuggle up with one another, human beings in this day and age, in this world that we live in, don't have the ability to live at peace. With each other because we live in a broken world. We all know that. And so, so people, because of our, of our pride and our arrogance and our aggression and our anger in the world that we live in, there will always be on this side of heaven, there will always be people who try to oppress others and, and, and make themselves better than others. And there will always be people who, man, deal with the ramifications of other people who live that way. There will always be those who try to one up and there will always be people who end up, man, being oppressed and end up dealing with anxiety and loneliness and all the things that come from this world. There will always be people like that. But one day, one day, Jesus is coming. He is coming back and he is coming to make all things right. One day Jesus will come and he will come and, and deal with all the issues of this world, making right all of the wrongs that ever have taken place and giving us a world, you all, it will be a world that we cannot even fathom how great it is. And he is going to come. Somebody say amen to that. You see, when we think about it that way, Advent is a time for us to remember that Jesus came and he is coming back. And that can give us a true right size hope that can fit the reality of our lives. Like, because even as we struggle in this broken world, man, we remember the fact that Jesus is coming back (laughs) and it can give us hope for the future, but it can also give us strength to be able to deal with what we are dealing with now. Do you remember, Back in uh, 2018. 2018, there was a situation that summer that happened with a, a group of young boys who um, were on a Thailand soccer team that were captured, not captured, they were trapped in, in a cave. For a period of time, these stories—they always rivet us. There was one that just happened, actually, this past week in India, with a group of miners who were captured, they trapped in a cave, and uh, and were finally rescued. But this story of these boys in Thailand was something—it it it captured the attention of people worldwide. In fact, it it became such a big story that actually there has been. uh, a Netflix documentary that came out on it, as well as a min- miniseries on Netflix, and then a movie that is on Amazon Prime that was produced by Ron Howard, all just on the story of what took place with these boys. Back on June 23rd of 2018, there were 12 young boys on a soccer team ranging between the ages of 11. And 16, who with their young soccer coach who was in his mid 20s, after practice in the area that they lived, they went to go and explore a well known cave called Tomlong Cave. And they were exploring through this cave. They got all the way back in about two miles into this cave. While they were in there, there was torrential downpour that hit out of nowhere that ended up flooding the cave and trapping all of these young men, these boys, in this particular cave for well over a week. Just imagine what that would have been like. They hadn't brought cell phones or anything in with them, but they were so far deep in the cave, no one could have, they couldn't have used them anyway. No communication, no way to be able to save themselves, no way to be able to get out, no food in a cold, damp, pitch black cave without any idea if anyone knew that they were there. And the thing that they didn't know was that all kinds of people knew they were there. The story had gotten out and there were thousands of people who from Thailand and surrounding countries who descended on Thailand to help with this situation. But they were in this cave without any idea if anyone was coming for them. And they were hopeless. They had no way to be able to save themselves. And then 10 days after the time that they had been trapped, there were divers who dove for over three hours through all the caverns of this cave to finally get to these boys to see if they were in fact, even still alive. All of them were still alive. Now just put yourself for a moment in the place of those boys in this dark cave where all of a sudden, after 10 days, (laughs) somebody comes. I mean, it was like, just imagine what that would do inside of you. But here was the reality because of the distance that they had to travel And because of the fact they had no way to communicate with anyone on the outside world, the divers had to leave and go back out to be able to figure out the plan of how they were going to get these boys out. So that day, (laughs) these divers leave them exactly where they were. But they said something to those boys that changed everything. They looked at them and they said, we're coming back. You see, now what had changed for those boys? Absolutely nothing. They still had no food. They had no shelter. They had no idea of what the plan was to get them out of there. There had nothing that had changed. But the men had said to them, we're coming back. And that gave them strength to be able to continue. It was full on for the last ones to get out another eight days that they were in that cave before they could actually get out. But but they had hope. It completely changed the demeanor. Writers will tell you that, I mean, the stories of these boys where they started from that point from just sitting there being fear, fearful and worried to like, actually like they created checkerboards in the dirt in, in this place. And they started to create teams of mud clods versus rocks. You know, that they would play checkers against each other. Their demeanor changed. Why? Because they knew that someone came and they said they were coming back. And that changed everything. You see, you see, we all live in a world that's completely broken. It's like, for all of us right now, we're in a cave without any way to really be able to save ourselves. And, and the cave that we're in is called this broken world. And for some of us, things at different times can get feeling really hopeless. I mean, some of you right now could be in a place where things feel hopeless. You could be in a place where like, you turn on the news. I mean, all you have to do is know the world's broken. You just turn on the news for 10 minutes and you see everything that's going on. And some of you could look at the different things happening, different areas of the world. You just feel hopeless. Some of you in 2023, for the first time, you heard the word cancer and, and life feels hopeless. Some of us, this is the first holiday season that we're going through without a loved one. I mean, that's for me with my dad. I'm My dad passed away in June, this first Christmas, the first holiday season I'm going through without him. And things can feel dark. For for some of you, you deal with like debilitating pain from a disease or a problem that you have that you deal with every day and you wonder if you can continue. Some of you have lost jobs and you're not sure exactly what's coming next, and life can just feel hopeless. It's like we're in a dark cave. I just want to say to everybody, can I just, can I just speak to those of you, all sites, all venues? who are in that kind of a place right now, if you're in that type of a place, today after the service, we're we're gonna have people here just to pray with you. If you'd like to pray with somebody at all of our sites and venues, site pastors, venue pastors, hosts, um, some people from our prayer team are just gonna be available. For anyone here at Braider Way, I'll be out in the atrium after. We'd love just to take time to be able to pray with you. But the other thing too, I want to let you know about is a service that we're going to be doing over Christmas. Because in times like this, where we're at Christmas and everyone's supposed to be happy and you're just not feeling all that happy, man, it can be difficult. And so we've created a service that we're going to be doing here on Tuesday, December 19th called Blue Christmas. And it's just an opportunity for people who are struggling in this season just to come together and lament. There are all kinds of things we do at Christmas. There is nothing in, in the Bible about like trees and decorations and all the things that we do for Christmas. Lament is in the Bible and it's good for us to be able to come together. And so if that's something that you would like to do, we'd love to have you come. We end with the idea within that service of the hope that we find in Jesus, that he came and he is coming back because we all deal with those times of hopelessness. And what does the world tell us to do in those times of hopelessness? Get some exercise, (laughs) take a couple days off, maybe head on vacation to someplace you've always wanted to go. Maybe you should find another job or move to another area of the city. Maybe you look at the world and you look at the politics of the world and you're like, this isn't working. And finally, there's a candidate that seems to be on board with the things that you like. And so maybe vote for that person. You see, all these things are good things but they're just never going to fit the the figurative feet of our lives. They're never shoes that are big enough. Advent is a time that we remember that Jesus came into this world. He dove down into the reality of our world, this dark world that we live in to give us true hope. And he's the one who said, I came and I'm coming back. And you all, he is faithful to what he says. This year actually is the 100th year anniversary of a song that we have sung in the church for, well, 100 years. A century ago in 1923, there was a school teacher named Thomas Chisholm who later on became a pastor who penned a poem. He was a poet on the side, just a side deal that he did. He penned a particular poem that finally was put to music years later, that became one of the greatest songs that our churches around the world have sung. It's a song called Great is Thy Faithfulness. You know, in the third verse of that song, it it says these words, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings, all mine with 10,000 beside. You see, Advent is a time where we land on the idea of true hope. If Jesus came <laughs> and he is coming again and that can give us real shoe fitting hope for the reality of our lives and strength that we need to continue on today. Let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you so much for the hope that you give us in your son, Jesus. Like a hope that can truly fit the the darkness of this world. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you dove down in this world to come and save us and that one day you will come back to be king and make all things right. We long for that day. And so would you continue during this Christmas season to keep our eyes fixed on you in the midst of all the stuff that we deal with here, that it can give us strength for the things that we deal with now and hope for tomorrow that you will make all things right. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people together said, amen.